I'm Gary Bembridge, and this is the Tips for Travellers podcast. Tips for Travellers is the global travel destination podcast focused on tips, advice, and inspiration for time-pressed travellers. Travellers for whom time is precious, and so they want to and need to get the most out of every trip. Visit www.tipsfortravellers.com to sign up for the newsletter, follow me on Twitter, and join the Facebook page. Hi, and welcome to the current edition of the Tips for Travellers podcast. Great that you could uh, join if you're a subscriber. Thanks very much. If you're not, it'd be great if you went onto iTunes or your favourite podcast catcher, searched for the Tips for Travellers podcast and subscribe. That'd be really great. But let's talk about today. Today, in this edition, I'm actually going to be talking about London, my hometown, and London 2012 Olympics specifically. I know I did mention in the last podcast, if you're listening to these in sequence, after I spoke about cruising in the fjords, that I would deep dive into a number of the cities and towns in Norway and give various tips, advice and observations for those of you who have very limited time to spend in them. What's the absolute must-do things? However, as I record this, we're about halfway through the 2012 Olympics and I thought I would take some time out to talk a little bit about London and talk about the Olympics and give you some advice and tips. And the reason I'm doing that actually is London and the UK in general, as a result of the Olympics this summer, has seen a massive fall off in the visit of tourists. Uh, you know, normally this time of the year, it's absolutely jam-packed. It's July, it's August time, and it's normally just teeming with tourists. Uh, many venues in central London are seeing visitors numbers falling by about 40%, anywhere between 25 and 40%. The shops are very quiet. And basically what's happened is in the build-up to the Olympics, tourists who would normally come to London just as part of their vacation or, or part of a trip around Europe decided to stay away because uh, they were worried about uh, just the, the, the pure volume of people that would be in London for the Olympics prices in hotels became absolutely and ridiculously crazy the hotels got very greedy whether it was uh, small uh, bread and breakfast places through to the most glitzy hotels they started charging crazy prices and uh, as a result people kind of stayed away they were worried about traffic they were worried about the underground being really busy and they've stayed away this means now that as i'm talking the prices in london have plummeted so hotels that were asking 500 pounds a night what's that about 750 dollars are down to about 120 dollars a night uh 100 you know or 100 pounds 150 dollars a night as i mentioned theaters are doing promotions because there's uh you can go and see all the big shows if you want there's tickets available attractions be it the british museum or the vna they're not as crowded it's a really really great time to visit london and i think it will be like that at least through until next summer so if you have been toying with coming to london it's a really really great time to come to london and that's my big tip is you know think again about putting london on your list of things to do uh, because you will find not only is the city in great shape it's very welcoming as a result of the olympics and the whole buzz that the olympics has had but you will find great deals great accessibility and uh, you know great opportunities so if you're actually looking for a last minute trip you know really take a look again at London but I thought I, I thought I would also spend a little bit of time talking about London and what it's like 
in the middle of the Olympics and what I think the kind of the, the, the impact is going to be on London as a result of hosting the Olympics. Now, as I, as I, I record this, I've been very lucky. I've managed to go to the Olympics twice on two separate days. Uh, one day was right at the very beginning, even before, before the athletics started, uh, as a guest of British Airways who invited me uh, along there, uh, probably as a result of being one of their frequent flyers and, and frequent uh, card holders. Had a great day there. And then secondly, uh, about four or five days later, went with a whole bunch of friends from tickets that we had had, had bought. And we went to see amazing swimming. We saw Michael Phelps. We saw uh, uh, Laclos, who, who beat Michael Phelps uh, swimming. And it was just really, really fantastic. But let me talk a little bit about kind of impressions and thoughts and so on. Now, Many of you listening to this podcast uh, may have seen huge amounts of kind of negative publicity in the build-up to the uh, Olympics. The media, and particularly in the UK, but I know it was cascaded out around the world, uh, had picked up on, on the stories, were, were surprisingly negative about the build-up to, to the Olympics. And, and probably one of the faults within the, you know, the, the UK and, and, and the Brits is, you know, people tend to focus often on the negatives and the things that aren't going as well. So... You know, what's important to remember is a couple of positive things, and then I'll talk about the sort of messaging that was was there in the build-up. The Olympic Park and the Olympic venues for London 2012 were all delivered and finished well on time and well within the final budget agreed. So the park was actually completed plant all the plants were planted and they had run many many trial runs in the venue way before the olympics were open so they had really spent time looking at traffic flow getting people in and out and if you bear in mind for example that yesterday which was saturday 750,000 people attended olympic events in london at formal events that's separate to people who may have just been kind of hanging around and, and going to some of the free events in the various parks etc the venues were delivered on time, they're on budget, and they are very beautiful. The actual Olympic Park, now the Olympics is obviously spread across different places, but the main heart of the Olympics, which is in Stratford in, in East London, is absolutely stunning. But what's interesting about the park is a massive complex. It was run down a very poor part of, of London, and the money's been pumped into there to kind of regenerate the whole area, build new infrastructure, build new housing, obviously because of the uh, the housing that was built to, to, to house the athletes which is going to be turned into affordable housing but this massive big park all this land which was fairly contaminated from old industrial uh, times has been cleaned up and they've planted this very beautiful park which is actually attracting back bird life it's attracting back butterflies but what's interesting about the park itself is it's an incredibly eco-friendly Olympics and one of the reasons that London won the Olympics was because of its whole focus on being incredibly eco-friendly regeneration uh, repurposing and legacy. So what I mean by that is, you know, many of the buildings on the complex are temporary. So they actually look quite amazing, like the basketball uh, venue, for example. It's a beautiful looking building, but what you realize is actually a structure covered by the sort of fabric, and that will go completely. The water uh, polo uh, venue, which has a pool, a massive big pool, etc., that is a temporary thing. It will go. So, so there, you know, there's not a lot of buildings that are being built that are just going to lift there, left there to rot. What's interesting, though, is a couple of the key buildings which were chosen. So, for example, the Aquatic Center, uh, the Velodrome, and even the Stadium. Most of those are designed to shrink. 
And what's been happening, so for example, the Aquatic Centre was a very beautiful, stylish building, has put into London now some very massive pools, which it didn't have, and a very great diving venue, which it didn't really have, into this very beautiful building. But it was so designed that they could bolt onto the sides of it these massive, huge, big stands, which could hold thousands and thousands of people. But once the games are completed, all of that will be taken away, leaving this structure underneath, which is going to be smaller and more intimate, but incredibly beautiful. The same is also true of the main stadium. The main stadium is even slightly smaller than some of the stadiums, say, at Sydney, but it is also designed to shrink in size. So a whole of the seating will be taken out. It'll be turned from an 80,000 venue seating to, I think, probably, uh, I think it's about a 40,000 or, or less. It's going to be repurposed, probably used for as a football stadium, as well as some Olympics. So it's very clever. It's been designed to kind of shrink and become practical. So it can still and will still be used. And the UK and London has a great track record of this. So for example, the Millennium Dome, which was built for the Millennium, uh, has been completely repurposed and is now, a, it is the most visited uh, music stadium in the world. Um, and it's got a beautiful stadium inside, a great venue for for sports as well as, as concerts. It's full almost every single night. There's something going on there. So there's a, the history of this. But what you now have is this massive big park with these beautiful canals that had, had gone into rack and ruin, now all uh, cleaned out. So you have water running through it, you have a river running through it. And it really is quite, I mean, it's quite stunning and it's very, very cleverly done. So unlike some places which have these massive big stadia which are basically rotting away and unused. So for example, in, in, in Athens, uh, for example, this is going to be a real living, breathing new community. So there's train lines have been built there and international stations being built there. They have a, a fast train. It has uh, new roads. It's very, very, very clever indeed. And it's actually going to be a great place to visit once the, the games are finished. It's going to close for about nine months a year and it's going to reopen as, as uh, the, the repurposed park with some attractions. And I'll talk about some of the things that are being put in place a little bit later. The other thing that I would say about London 2012 is the run-up to the games, there was lots of, of grumbling about, oh my god, the traffic's going to be terrible because London has pretty heavy traffic, as, as you can imagine. It's going to be gridlocked on the underground. It's going to be gridlocked on the trains. It's going to be a nightmare. And there was lots of hullabaloo about security and all sorts of things. However, once the games opened, what was just amazing was the organization. It's very complex, but it's incredibly slick. They recruited 70,000 volunteers who are incredibly well-trained and very friendly. And you know, you can get on a tube uh, or a train as far away as Brighton, which is like nearly 100 miles away from London. They will have volunteers there helping people to understand the trains they catch, how they get to the Olympic Park or any other venues in London. Once you get to the park, you have volunteers everywhere from the train stations from the bus stations helping you answering questions cheering up uh, giving shout outs to the canadian flag that give a shout out to the canadians lifting the whole um, mood the security is very slick it's actually now run by the army because the uh, private contractor didn't deliver so they actually have the army they're doing it so it's very slick it's very organized incredibly fast bearing in mind they're getting 700,000 people in and out there every day Unlike at the airport, there's no queuing. You're straight through. Inside the park, uh, they work very hard to minimize queues and getting in and out of you know the, the, the stadium or the aquatic center, 
is just incredibly, incredibly slick. And the complexity, you know, as a Londoner, we, we, you know, I'll get emails every day from TFL, which is the people who run the tubes and, and the roadworks, telling you about what's happening the next day, which buses are diverted, uh, what to avoid, alternative ways to get there. It's just, it's just mind-bogglingly amazing. And what's happened is, is this whole sense of London and the whole sense of excitement is staggering. So a couple of impressions of the Olympic Park. The minute you arrive at the station, the buzz and the excitement in London really ramps up. Already, whether you get on, I live in West London, in West London, already there's excitement in the air, there's a whole buzz. There's, in a lot of the public parks, there's events going on, free events, which are sponsored by BT or British Airways or the local community. So there's lots of stuff going on in the parks for free. But the minute you arrive at the station, there's incredible buzz, which is hard to explain, is it, just uh, amazing. The, the, the sense of community, the sense of excitement. I've never been to Olympic Games before, and it's just amazing. Uh, the travel is dramatically easier than projected. Now, what happened in London is there are lanes dedicated, whether it comes from Heathrow right through town, which are Olympic-only lanes. So you have to have specific Olymp Olympic passes to use it so the, 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 the athletes can use it to get to the venues and obviously the IOC members. So lots of roads were have these dedicated lanes, which everyone grumbled about. It's going to be a nightmare. But what... Um, uh, London had done is convince a lot of people to work at home, not travel at peak times, and this had been planned for about a year beforehand. So actually traffic in London is fantastic at the moment. You know, you can get to and from on the tubes. It's really well planned. You can even drive into London. You can get buses into London because much less people are driving in. So travel is incredible and it's so well planned because they've, you know, you can go onto the site and you look at, you know, today's date, it'll tell you by station, by time, what uh, to avoid and when when they're expecting how many people they're expecting, and they open and close the lanes, the the Olympics lanes, based on um, uh, again the volume of traffic. I've already mentioned security and processing of people. It, it's very good. It's really good. I actually like the idea that they've got the army on security. It gives you the whole sense of of security. Bear in mind, there's massive security, and it's quite it's not that visible. I mean, there are police with arms, and if you actually look very carefully, you will see around the Olympic Center on the tops of buildings, you will see, uh, uh, you know, people on the watch out. There are actually on the top of some of the buildings um, rocket launchers to shoot down any uh, planes that may encroach or whatever. So the, the security is, is very good, but it's also not that visible. But it's just amazing getting in and out. So even when you have to queue because you have these. Um, volunteers uh, shouting out talking to people it's amazing you just don't even notice that you're queuing so for example the london 2012 merchandise mega store this massive big store you have to queue in but the, the way they've done it and the, and and they make sure that the they have volunteers to stop people pushing in and and, and so on but it's it's like my goodness we queued and the time's gone because this is just the way they handle it also what i liked about it um is they've made the events huge amounts of fun i mean it's very slick you know when we went to the swimming it said you know at 10 o'clock on the sh it, it said this race will be at seven minutes past 10 it'll be this race. 11 minutes past 10 it'll be this race and they stuck to timing absolutely however there's a great mix in the stadiums of they have someone whose job it is to basically buoy up the crowd uh and they have cameras going around viewing you know filming people in the crowd in between the races they play pop music and they, they, so that's one person, one group's role. You then have kind of the official 
commentator who will tell you the rules they will introduce the officials they will explain um, how things are working why things are going so you get a good mix between the fun and the serious side then the information around is amazing they have these boards which will tell you all sorts of information world records olympic records turning time so like on the swimming it'll tell you when they turn who's going first who's going second what time it is how they're doing so you also have incredible amounts of information so they get this great mix between party like because bear in mind most of the people i guess who are going aren't big diehard swimming fans or fencing fans or basketball fans a great mix between information and fun and, and as i mentioned this you know this, this the park itself is, is just amazing that the sponsors have built unusual things so for example coca-cola's built this beatbox building where you walk through and you can actually make the building uh, play music uh, really really interesting places lots of places to eat although actually the only official big uh, there's two massive big shop uh, eating places, which is McDonald's. The biggest McDonald's in the world is, is is in this park. But then they have lots of temporary structures which sell sandwiches and 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 salads. And again, it's very eco-friendly. There's lots of recycling, um, things like the you know Cadbury's, the chocolate and sweet maker, uh, which is part of Kraft Foods. They are one of the official sponsors. But all the sweets and chocolates are behind closed doors so uh, you know parents would have to actually open them to take the sweets out so there's lots of thinking in terms of the healthiness and recyclability coca-cola is very aggressively recycling promising that you know if you have a bottle in the olympics park within i think it's 21 days it will have been recycled and back on shelf in, as another bottle so a real sense of, of of environment and such going on the other thing which is also going to be very exciting uh, post the Olympics is a structure called the Orbit. Now the Orbit is, is this massive big sculpture structure. It's, I can't remember how high it is. It's something like 20 stories high. It's a massive structure. It's very unusual looking. Those of you who have watched the games will have probably seen it. It's that red sort of like Meccano set building. It was sponsored by Isolom Metal, who's, who's the world's well, I don't know if he's the world's richest man, but he's certainly the richest man in, in the UK. He, he runs all the metal uh, steel um, business. Um, and he sponsored this thing. It cost him 20 or 30 million, something like that. And they built this incredible structure, um, which has a viewing platform. Now, unfortunately, it was sold out during the games. But it was a very clever addition because you have this focus, this almost icon of the game. So in Beijing, you had the Birdcage Stadium. Here, it's the orbit is kind of the, 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 the focal point. What's going to happen afterwards is that's going to become a big tourist attraction. Uh, I'm desperate to get tickets for it. We couldn't get tickets for it because, you know, they're not overcrowding it. But it's a really interesting structure, uh, uh, really interesting. The park, as I mentioned, is absolutely massive. It's so big and it's designed to be a parkland. And, you know, you've got this river running through it. You, you walk to the velodrome, which is a beautiful, iconic building. Um, and it really is just quite magical. So you have this whole buzz excitement in London so you have this going on which is then cascading across uh, the city so in Hyde Park you have this massive free concert every day where they get um, you know various pop stars perform twice a day they show all the uh, all the matches all the gymnastics whenever there's a medal winning ceremony they show that and, and really it's just everywhere you go there's a sense of excitement however as a tourist there is as I mentioned at the beginning lots of accommodation lots of tickets to shows empty much emptier than usual uh, venues so it really is a time to come to london i think the whole city's been has been lifted this sense of excitement and atmosphere has grown and i think coming to london you will find it an even friendlier place and an even even more welcoming place um, than than it ever was before 
if you want to find out more things on London, you can look back at various different podcasts that are done about various features within London on my blog at www.tipsfortravelers.com. I have lots of things about London. I'll actually build kind of a London section uh, to add to that. Um, so that's my thoughts about London and London 2012. I hope that's helped and give it a little bit of context to kind of what you may be watching on television with the Olympic Games, where it's uh, a sense of kind of what it's like to be in London right now. And even if you don't have tickets to the Games, being in London right now is just fantastic. You know, people are coming from all over the place just to be in the town and, and, and feel that whole sense of excitement. So hopefully that's been helpful. Hopefully that's been inspiring. Uh, I'd also like to just remind you again that I have launched another podcast, which is the All About Cunard podcast. So those of you who are interested in cruising and Cunard specifically, it'd be great if you if you took a listen to that podcast. You can find it again on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. Uh, just search for Cunard or Gary Bembridge. It'll come up. I'd love it if you subscribe to that. And don't forget also there is the Tips for Travelers video podcast. Uh, which uh, has loads of videos of destinations, attractions, hotel rooms, and so on, which again, you can find by searching Tips for Travelers. Um, so that's all for today. Uh, in the next podcast, we'll start on the in-depth dives into Norway. And remember, if you want to contact me, visit the site www.tipsfortravelers.com. You'll find a link there, and you can either comment or send me an email. And I'd love to have any thoughts, comments, feedbacks, or requests. So until next time, here's to great traveling. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. A new destination with first-hand based advice, recommendations and tips is added each month. If you subscribe to the podcast, thanks for your support. If you don't, you may want to consider subscribing by searching Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travellers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com, where travellers spelled the UK way with two L's, or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk.